This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? 9.36 a.m. Good morning. It's Friday, my, the 19th of May. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Keith Kham and Mark Tan. This is WTF, or What's the Focus? Our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other news tidbits that you may have missed. So as we've been... Uh, previewing all morning we're going to be discovering we're going to be discussing something cold something hot and something orange today among other things <laughs> starting with something cold or to be precise cold play okay it's a bit of a yeah it's a bit of a lame kind of play on words right uh, but i want to give you I a saw f- your eye roll there <laughs> <laughs> i want to give you a fun fact um cold play this they started out with the name starfish that's what they called themselves at their very first gig all the way back in 1998 i did not know that um I I've been listening to them for for, for quite a while and since I, 1998. Uh, no, actually, since they came up with the song "Yellow," which was quite synonymous with what had been going on in Malaysia at that time. Um, but uh, most recently, I did see them on on SNL Saturday Night Live, where uh, Chris Martin performed a song which he had written with. Uh, I'm not sure if he wrote it with someone from BTS, but it was actually performed by uh, one of the members of BTS called uh, The Astronaut. I did not know it was a BTS song, but when I heard him perform it, I thought it was an actual Coldplay song and I was like really in love with it. You should, you guys should, should, should go YouTube that. I will. Mm-hmm. I will YouTube that. It's been a while since I've listened to any of the new repertoire on Coldplay's uh, set list, but uh, we are talking about them, of course, because they are due to perform in Malaysia at long last on November 22nd at Stadium Bukit Jalil. And this has been a cause, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> there's been a great cheer when we heard the news and also a rush to get tickets. So there was a ticketing snafu by the sounds of it where people had to wait or couldn't get into the waiting rooms to buy their tickets. And after that, um, you know, it was sold out in three hours on the second day. You know, amazing response. Uh, but hopefully Coldplay will, rumours are they might have a second concert uh, coming up. I, I don't know. I mean, they've put up a change.org uh, petition for them to have a, a second day. But I... I, I, I'm, That's I'm, kind of beyond our control, or be, you yeah. know, it's it's not really but, for. But I also have my reservations about that. So if they actually do come up with a second night, it's just going to be a repeat of what we saw on the sixteenth and seventeenth mm. of, of of May, with the uh with, with systems crashing, with people queuing up, and finally not getting any getting the tickets that they were hoping right. to get. It had a lot of um. It I I couldn't help think of the vaccine um drama as well back in twenty twenty one when they first released the AstraZeneca mm-hmm. uh lottery slots. In a way, it was kind of like that as people were on their websites, on multiple devices, trying to uh, get in the queue to buy those tickets. Um, And I think what's happened after that also uh, caused a lot of uproar, where uh, even tickets sold out, uh, and then they started appearing on reselling sites um, at a really high markup from from what it was sold at and and that has caused a lot of anger among music lovers. Correct. The highest price seems to have been quoted at 43,200 ringgit and this has caught the attention of our communications and digital minister uh, Fami Fadzil who said that, you know, they're going to clamp down on all these profiteering scammers, right? And catch them if possible. I I mean, this this is something that really, really... um, I mean, it's just not human to do. I mean, to 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 profit out of uh, what people have been uh, actually uh, have been waiting their entire lives to go to go watch. I mean, the tickets won't 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 exactly exactly cheap to start off with, and to buy it and resell it, yeah. 
I think that's one of the reasons why people are very upset about it. Because there is the argument, of course, that, hey, it's a free market, right? Willing buyer, willing seller. Uh, why can't I, I buy my, I get the ticket and then sell it to someone who's willing to pay me that price? But I think it comes back to the arguments that you were raising as well, Keith. Uh, the fact that you are taking advantage of, of something uh, that... Uh, that probably needn't uh, be the case? I, I think this is not something unique to Malaysia as well uh, because uh, I, I did try to get tickets for, for a Madonna concert in, in, in Europe. The, the issue was the same over there. It was sold out in, in a matter of, of, of uh, hours and all of a sudden you could get it on, on, on reselling sites. And of course you can draw parallels with the whole Taylor Swift debacle as well over in the US when she released tickets for her concert uh, earlier this year. Uh, their servers, Ticket Nation servers, were also overwhelmed. There was also the issue of huge markups in uh, reselling prices there as well. So this is an issue for the entire industry really and how how it should be dealt with is that open question, right? As has technology, um, do we have the technology that can address these pain points when it comes to the selling? of tickets of, for entertainment. So I remember the U2 concert that was held in Singapore a few years ago. So the same thing happened. You know, tickets were sold out within three hours on the first day. And I don't know whether it was a petition, but eventually U2 then said, we'll have a second concert in Singapore back to back. I mean, this is more than just a fact of whether tickets are enough or not, but it's also addressing the, uh, what do you call it? How do we stop resellers, right? How do we, how do we ensure that uh, the person who buys the ticket is the one who actually gets to enjoy the value of that ticket? And I think we've seen how in other countries, uh, there have been on social media, people have pointed out their experiences in other places where in Taiwan, for example, your name is printed on the ticket. The tickets are not uh, exchangeable, not transferable, right? And that it would keep uh, things in check in a way and prevent those exorbitant prices that you see in the reselling market. Shaz, you mentioned uh, the use of technology to, to address something like this. Uh, I believe, I mean, blockchain could be one of the solutions? I think that was what was discussed uh, on the Enterprise show yesterday. They discussed it on uh, BizBytes. They spoke to Iqbal Amir, CEO of Livescapes Group, on the ticket debacle. Um, so blockchain apparently is uh, a, a, a something that is being discussed or being experimented on. I don't have any uh, clear examples as yet, but it is interesting that uh, this kind of technology could be used to ensure, I, I suppose, that uh, one-way transaction or just secure transaction and just less uh, third-party selling. And, and very quickly as well, uh, right after the the Coldplay concert, concert uh, was announced, all of a sudden I start seeing uh, advertisements for Ed Sheeran and Maroon 5 concerts happening in oh Kuala Lumpur towards the end of the year. But uh, just to let everyone know, this is actually a scam. So... Mm. Please don't. Uh, please check and double check before parting with your hard-earned money for any concerts that are not made on official channels. Okay, let's take a look at uh, other ish other stories onto something hot. So no surprises, of course. We're talking about the heat wave that we're experiencing and anticipating as El Nino comes around in the second half of the year. Earlier on, we spoke to uh, Afendi of ISIS Malaysia just on the global warming trends that we're seeing, and there's also been some news coming out of Moody's Investor Service. Uh, it's said that Malaysia may raise its key interest rate yet again should the heat wave worsen the nation's already elevated food price pressures. I think this is something we need to also pay attention to because uh, with the change in weather, it's going to affect a lot of uh, food production as well. Uh, when it comes to food security, that's something that we have to be mindful of, as well as the fact that it's going to cost a lot more uh, to 
for for fruit for food to to be to be produced for consumption. I think back to the heat waves that we saw, for example, in India last year, where whole crops of of fruits were were destroyed because of this unprecedented uh, drought and and heat that happened. We could very well see something similar happen here, depending on how high the temperatures go, depending on where. Uh, and it I guess it it raises the question of our food security, as you said, and what we're doing to uh, prepare for that. I suppose. So uh, earlier this week, <clears throat> it was reported that six of our dams are already uh, water levels are starting to drop, and this will obviously affect water supply to the mm-hmm. farmers and the breeders. You know, who, where we get our vegetables and chickens from, right? In- interestingly enough, uh, I was like listening to to the evening edition yesterday, and they were talking about uh, you know food production. And uh, did you know that chilies actually thrive on on, on hot weather? Do they now? They actually do, apparently. So we can ex- we can expect a, a bumper harvest of chilies. Uh, I don't know what's that going to do with the heat, though. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's I think true. dry and heat makes it hotter, right? Uh, okay, so chilies there. The, yes, so you're talking about the inside story yesterday, and they looked at this issue of heat waves and how it can affect, I suppose, our daily lives. Uh, Evening Edition spoke to Murali Ram of Arup and also Shari Zaldenchi, the owner of DNH Plantation. He is a farmer, so he yeah. has all the insights into how the weather can affect crops. You can look up that podcast, Sediakan Payong Sebelum Heat Wave, on the BFM app or the website. All right, we're coming up to eight nine forty six in the morning. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with more stories from the week on WTF. What's the focus? Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. 9.48 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run. This is WTF or What's the Focus? I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Keith Kam and Mark Tan. So on a lighter note, we're turning our attention to some interesting survey findings from Microsoft regarding artificial intelligence and work trends. Mark, you have this story. Correct. So Microsoft released new research on how AI will change the way we work in Malaysia. So three key numbers that caught my attention. 84% of employees would actually delegate work to an AI. Um, 90% of leaders anticipate employees will need to upskill in the AI area and managers in Malaysia are 1.4x more likely to boost productivity using AI. So rather than cutting headcount. So on the flip side, um, 62% of respondents in Malaysia say they're worried AI will replace their jobs. So it's, it's, you know, data is mixed about, you know, depending on AI, whether it's going to improve productivity or replace headcount. Well, one of the examples I heard uh, from this from this presentation yesterday by Microsoft uh, by Microsoft is that uh, you could actually use AI um, to say you know you're in you're you're in a Google Meet meeting or you're in a in a Zoom meeting you don't want to sit for the entire one hour you could actually use AI and say hey AI uh, at what point was my name mentioned in the meeting uh, and uh, or, or you could key in and say you know uh, what was I what were the tasks that had been uh, assigned to me without actually listening to the entire meeting. Interesting. I, I mean, that could make things a lot more uh, uh, productive. productive it's like a virtual <laughs> assistant that is even more intelligent than what already exists, uh, mm-hmm. that they can do things while you're not there. Yeah, so it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you have a meeting and you don't want to sit in for it, or you, or you happen to be doing something else and, you know, there are certain responsibilities that 
that that that include you within that meeting, you could just like key it into AI and and have it. Uh, and and Keith, remember that during the MCO lockdown, some of us were actually having two virtual meetings at the same time, so we actually logged on to two different screens, right? So I did not have. That, you did have that situation, so you know sometimes <laughs> an AI assistant here could help. And talking about that, Zoom actually is announcing a partnership to have an AI called Claude in their system soon. So okay, we can see that uh, there's a lot of potential for productivity gains when it comes to AI, but uh, uh, there is concern on the drawbacks that could happen. You mentioned 62% are worried about losing their jobs. Uh, and I think that's was, this was the issue that was uh, discussed in US Congress as well when Sam Altman, the chief executive of ChatGPT's OpenAI, testified before members of a Senate subcommittee on Tuesday. So he was talking about the need for this sector to actually be regulated. There isn't any really clear regulations governing what AI companies and what AI software does. So I think the talk of regulation is going to be something that's in the spotlight as this uh, industry burgeons. Because as it stands, I think uh, the the fear that AI, that humans might actually lose out their jobs to AI is real. Uh, 62% of respondents in Malaysia say they are worried that this will actually happen. And not just that, yeah. I think something that we could really need to consider is the... Uh, a potential for AI to create more misinformation. Uh, to have we have deep fakes now, and, mm. and I think AI will just uh, exacerbate that problem. How will we be able to differentiate between what's real and what's not? Already, we've got these uh, AI software creating songs by artists that's not really by them, but it sounds so much like them. You know, how are we going to differentiate whether a, a speech or statement uh, is from the real person or from uh, just a robot masquerader? Or, or, or even worse, it could be someone. Uh, uh, who might use AI and say that, hey, uh, I've got your son and he's been kidnapped. Uh, please send me a ransom. And this is your son's voice. And it's happened, apparently. Or scammers yeah. for the elderly, for example. Someone calling and pretending to be someone's uh, nephew or someone's child and saying, oh, can you send me money? I mean, the the pitfalls, the dangers are, are just legion, right? So it makes sense that regulators really look at how they're going to kind of ring fence or put guidelines in place before things get out of control. So we're going to have to be watching that very closely. I'm also sure there's a sci-fi movie out there somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure that's al it already exists, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Remember the Terminator? So final fun fact for this one is the number one productivity disruption from Microsoft is none other than inefficient meetings, what I suppose we normally call NATO meetings, no action talk only. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if AI will be able to to change that. We'll probably always have some form of uh, inefficiency. But in any case, let's take a look at the next uh, story on our docket. Uh, Something Orange is all about the Move Forward Party this week. I think the results of the Thai elections have been pretty, um, they've been pretty incredible, right? I mean, I think it's a, a real win for uh, pro-democracy supporters uh, to see a party like move forward be able to win that majority uh, vote in terms of the number of seats in parliament. It's also very encouraging to see uh, someone young-ish in his 40s uh, take, take control, take the helm of, of, of a country, uh, kind of like what uh, President Emmanuel Macron did when uh, when he won the presidency in, in France some years back, uh, although his popula popularity has sort of declined of late. Uh, his party was also called uh, sort of 
in en French, marche, yes, right? En, en marche, yes, which is basically, you know, move forward. If it was in, if it was in Bahasa Malaysia, would it be like maju ke depan or mara? <laughs> I don't mm. know. Don't, don't take me up. I am not starting a new political party, just so you know. But uh, yeah, I think there's been a lot of attention to the fact that they are seeing a new um, uh, leadership line emerging. Yeah, we've got uh, Peter Lim Jaronrat. Uh, we have uh, Petong Tan Shi, uh, Shinawat as well in terms of a much younger generation coming up uh, to show leadership and show that they can uh, take the helm of the country. Correct. You know, one's 36 years old and Peter's 42 years old. So on paper, Peter actually looks very impressive, right? He's got a Master's of Public Policy from JFK, Harvard University, an MBA from MIT. He's worked for Grab Thailand, Boston Consulting Group, Merrill Lynch. You know, so guy on paper, very impressive. And another fun fact for you is, at the age of 28, he was named as one of Cleo Thailand's 50 most eligible bachelors. Well done. That is such a great, uh, how to say, achievement in his uh, resume, I'm sure. Uh, speaking of elections, though, as we're waiting for what happens in Thailand and the formation of government, it's going to take some time. I think only in July will Parliament actually sit down to vote on who becomes the Prime Minister. In the meantime, there's a lot of uh, horse trading or discussions. We spoke to uh, Dr. Termsa Chalampalanupap of the IC's Yusuf Isha Institute uh, earlier this week. He gave us some analysis and insights on what could happen, how the different premier can take play. Do look up that podcast on the BFM app. Uh, but while we keep an eye on what's happening in Thailand, we also need to pay attention to what's happening here in Malaysia because we have the state elections coming up. Yeah, so uh, by the end of June, we should see all the six the six state uh, assemblies. Uh, their mandates would have expired by then. And um, that means elections, state elections would have to happen. And by estimates, it should be around July, maybe uh, early August for, for those things to happen, for, for the elections to happen. So, all of these six states involved that's, uh, you know, you check me if I'm wrong Kedah, Trunganu, Kelantan, Selangor, Negeri Sembilan, and Penang. <laughs> there we go. So, all the state governments have said that uh, they will dissolve their parliament simultaneously, I think, paving the way for elections to be held on the same day. So, at least that would, uh, I guess, relieve some headache on the election commission side in terms of logistics, right? Save money also. Actually. Save money yeah. also. But the real question is on the date. You know, we're always, we in Malaysia, our election dates are very uncertain. We don't know when they're going to be. So we have the dissolution of parliament dates kind of there. But again, it's always up to the government, whether the state government or the federal government, to uh, they have the discretion to call elections whenever they want. And I think we've been at the mercy of that uncertainty uh, for all this time. So Berse, uh, it ha- in one of their proposals, says that why not we make the date more certain because this will also help people plan uh, in order to be able to go out to vote. So the worry is that state elections, people don't place as much importance on it. They're not going to take the time to go back and vote and hence voter uh, voter turnout could be low. Correct. So Thomas Fan earlier said this week that the voter turnout could be as poor as 50% and we need to do our part to try to get it up to 60%. Or more, or Or more. Yeah, um, I mean, Percy has been advocating a fixed parliament system at the at the federal level, but I th- I, I kind of feel like with this upcoming uh, uh, state elections, it could be a good. Uh, uh, platform for the EC to start determining the dates because you kind of already know it's going to be end July uh, or early August-ish and perhaps that's something that they could work on because it would save a lot of uh, money in logist- in terms of logistics, in terms of securing schools uh, for as, as, as polling centres and for the voters, it just makes it makes life easier. You can plan your holidays uh, to Balik Kampong to vote 
yeah. as well. And I'm sure the EC would be happy to have that, uh, to be able to have that planning in place. But the again, clarity, yeah. the discretion still is in political hands at the moment. It really is up to those state governments, so the chief minister, the prime minister. So why not have some kind of institutionalization of the practice that parliament will run until the end of its term so that we have clarity on when that date is coming through? I really think that this is a proposal worth exploring if we're serious about wanting to increase voter turnout. Uh, not only that, there are other initiatives like uh, ensuring postal ballots or uh, what there's early voting as well. Or I think there's something, I, I don't remember the term, but where uh, you kind of vote uh, somewhere else. But I don't know. There are lots of different initiatives that could help people to make it easier to vote. I think that's the key point there. Do listen to our conversation with Thomas Fan. You can look up that podcast on the BFM app. It is 9.58 in the morning. That's all that we have on WTF What's the Focus. Uh, we have the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up next. And then it's over to Enterprise. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9 the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.